So over the next three weeks, I know Easter's only two weeks long, but uh, three weeks, we're going to do a series called Like No Other. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, how many know that in, in a world where there's a lot of culture and a lot of gods that people talk about, there really is no one like Jesus. Um, he is the most written about historical person, okay? Uh, people, a lot of times, they'll, they'll get into conversations about, well, how do we know that the Bible is true, is written by man, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, the Bible is the, is, is the most published document, historical document ever. Ever. It's got more non-religious writings about it than any other religious writings as well. Um, if you read your, your New Testament, you'll see that there's a guy named Josephus in there. He was a, he was a Jewish historian. He was not a follower of Jesus. Um, he was actually part of the Sanhedrin and all that, and um, he wrote extensively about Jesus. It was non-faith-based, just, just historical. Um, and so a lot of times when people talk about Jesus, they, they, put, they lump him into all of these like, you know, Greek and, and, and all this other religious type of stuff that, you know, oh, it's, it's myth, it's this and that. But there's so much historical document about who Jesus is and about what he did and about his life and, and how he lived it. And I believe that when we look into the words of Christ through the Bible, we see a God that is like no other, that cares for us and, and is really passionate about us having a relationship with the Father. Amen? Um, this, this, over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be, I'm going to be posing a lot of questions I want you to think about. And so I like to, to title my messages. Uh, the overall theme is like no other, but my question today is one that we'll find in the scriptures is, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? In John 20, 14 through 16, I'm going to be reading out of the passage, uh, the Passion Translation of the Bible. It says this, then she turned around to leave. We're talking about Mary at the, at the tomb. So this is after Jesus died. This is, this is, this is the, the resurrection. This is, uh, this is Mary coming to the tomb uh, portion. So we're past the triumphal entry. We're past the crucifixion. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her. But she didn't realize that it was him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you have taken his body somewhere else, tell me, and I will go and... Mary, Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, Rabboni, which is Aramaic for my teacher. I want you to get this picture of Mary that she had lost her teacher, her friend, somebody who she had spent the last three years traveling with. And she's sitting there, and isn't it interesting when we, and, and I won't get on my soapbox about women in church, but because uh, it may surprise you that I'm not what you probably think, um, that it's a woman that finds Jesus at the, the tomb. That, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a woman that is chasing down Jesus after he died and resurrected first. I was watching a, a, a Facebook reel, and this pastor was breaking down um, 
You'll, you'll hear a lot of times in church that women don't belong in leadership in church. Can I, can I tell you that that's not biblical? Um, it's absolutely not biblical. Uh, yes, there are scriptures that say that the head of the church should be a, a male, and th- that's completely different than whether there should be leaders in the church that are female. Those two, two totally different topics, okay? Because uh, really, ultimately, the Bible says that the head of the church is who? God, right? And, and God directs his leaders, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that women cannot be leaders. I mean, matter of fact, you would find that Deborah, who was a judge, was a leader. That's Old Testament. That's like real legal law, right? Um, you've got people like Ruth and Naomi who were leaders in, in their culture. You've got uh, in the New Testament, Mary and all of these women. And actually, if you re- read Paul's writings over and over again, he lists women who are disciples, teachers, deacons, leaders in the church, underneath his leadership and underneath Timothy's leadership and uh, Apollo's leadership, but they are leaders. They, they literally help guide and lead the church at, in, its, in their community. So here we are at the, at the garden, uh, at the tomb, and, and Mary's the first one, and he, he's, she's the first one that Jesus comes to. And I love her question. She doesn't recognize Jesus, and, 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 and he simply asks her, who are you looking for? I guess today my question to you is who are you looking for? Are you looking for the gardener or are you looking for God? It seems like a weird question to ask, right? But isn't that the uh, question or, or what she thought she was? She thought she was talking to the gardener and Jesus was standing in front of her. And I think so many times in our spiritual life, we don't know who we're looking for and it makes it so hard in life. Are you looking for someone who just tends to the problem, like a gardener, right? A, a, a gardener, he tends to his problem, or she tends if you're a gardener. I, I don't do any of that. Um, you know, I buy my, my, my garden vegetables from the store. Uh, and so, you know, you, you till the land, you, you plant the seed, you, you water it, and then when it grows, you pick it up. I mean, it's, you're just, you're, you're, you're tending to the problem. If there's a problem, you fix it, but you just, you just, you just work the problem. Are you looking for someone who, who just tends to the problem and makes it look better? Or are you looking for somebody who will radically change everything in your life? Are you looking for the healer and the hope giver? Or are you just looking for a handout? Like, think about that. Who is the person you're looking for? What is your life's search for? Are you looking for somebody who is radically going to take time and invest in your life and to challenge you and to equip you to live the life that he has called you to? Are you just like, God, I just want you to take care of everything. Make me feel good. Make life better. Make everything happy. Are you looking for somebody to actually give you hope? Who is Jesus? And to answer this question is to answer what you allow him to do in and with your life. Listen, I could give you all of this theological, really cool stuff. I could break down the Bible for you. But simply asking and answering this one question for yourself, who is Jesus? Will radically change your life. Could radically change your life. Can I tell you, I feel so trapped right now I don't have my stairs. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm just being honest right now. Like, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm like, I'm stuck, okay? Um, so if I keep looking down, like, there should be stairs there. It's, listen, I've trained myself over four years to, like, walk right here and then walk down a little bit. Um, and so now my body's, like, um, doesn't know what to do with itself. But who are you looking for? 
Rabbit, sorry, it's rabbit trails. Who are you looking for? Who, who is it? What are you, who do you think Jesus is? Matter of fact, my first Easter message ever here was Jesus is either Lord, lunatic, or a liar. And how we answer that question of who Jesus is in our life will direct how you allow him to uh, play out in the rest of your life. If he's just a good teacher, then when, when you are challenged to change something in your life, you'll go, mm, that sounds good, but I, I don't think so. He's just a good proverb. He's like a Chinese cookie, you know, the, the fortune cookie. And he just, oh, well, it's a good proverb, but I don't need to change my life. When we know Jesus as Lord, Lord says this, Lord is, Lord is, even if I don't like it, if he tells me to do it, I'm going to do it because I don't get to say no and say Lord at the same sentence. You don't, you don't get to say, you don't get to call him Lord Jesus. And then he say, okay, now let's work on this. And you go, nah, because if you do, then he's not Lord. He's just a good teacher. Or he's the complete opposite of all of that. And he's just a liar. You being here, I'm going to suppose that you're somewhere between a uh, Lord and a lunatic and not a liar. That he's a, a good teacher, but maybe you haven't fully bought into following him because you haven't answered the question, who is Jesus in your life? You've just answered, who is Jesus? The picture, the idea of the Christmas and Easter answer. I love it because he, he, he always kind of puts it back on us with a lot of these answers. You know, he's one of the, anybody ever get frustrated when people answer you with a question? You ask a question, they say, well, what do you think? If, if I had a thought, why am I asking you? If I had an answer, why would I waste my breath with the question to you? And Jesus, he's, he's that annoying guy. You ask a question, he goes, well, what do you think the father would say? I don't, I don't, that's what I'm asking you. Or he'd speak in riddles and he knew he was speaking in riddles because he would speak in stories and like half the people would get it. And then when the, and you could tell because the disciples would do this, they, they, he'd, he'd speak a story, he'd give this great message and then they'd break away and it'd be him and his 12 boys. And they'd look at him like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, let me tell you. And then he'd break it down for him. See, sometimes he wanted us to, to be pushed to, to find him and not just get a handout. And what, did he, what would he say when he would heal somebody or when he would touch somebody's life? He would say, by your faith, you are healed, found hope, released, right? And Luke 17, 19 says this, and Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. In Mark 5, 34, he says this, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. The answer to the question, who is Jesus, is very much answered in, in, in a lot of these scriptures that we read over and over again, where he says, listen, it's because you sought me. You didn't seek what I could do. You didn't seek this idea of me. You knew that there was something about me that could radically change your life, and you sought after it. I want you to think about that. The woman with the issue of blood says that she'd been to every doctor. She sought every answer. Nobody was able to give her anything. Nobody was able to, to give her help and peace in her life. And she was at her wit's end. 
She was at that place where she was like, God, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And it says that, that Jesus was walking through the crowd and he was a superstar. I mean, literally, literally walking through the crowd and people are thronging for him like he's Michael Jackson. That's the picture I get, right? Because, because what happens is this lady, now think about this. Everybody been in a, in a crowd that's been crazy, shoulder to shoulder, nuts, right? I, I would imagine most of you have been. This lady is on her hands and knees in that moment. Because it says that she touched the hem of his garment. See, a lot of times we don't put reality what happens. Because you know in those moments where it's a crowded room or there's a crowded year, you get big. Like, I I try to get as big as I can. I'm five foot seven. I get as big as I can broad shoulders out, walk like a cowboy, you know, like do whatever you got to do. And, and like at Disneyland, when the kids were little, we would have a, uh, we'd have a stroller with us. Man, I'd use that stroller to my advantage. I will run you over. But all these people are, all these people are thronging. And here's this lady literally getting trampled on because she knew that Jesus could help her. She's on her hands and knees, and all she does is touch the edge of her, his robe. And he tells his disciples, somebody touched me. That is the dumbest statement I've ever heard Jesus make. <laughs> Sorry. And the disciples thought that too, because they looked at him crazy. They're like, uh, yeah, look around. A lot of people are touching you. And he says, no, 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 no. And here's, here's the point. There's a lot of people that go to church and there's a lot of people that say they follow Jesus, but very few people seek him like she sought him. You're my only hope. You're the only way I can live life. You're you're the only thing between me and losing everything I have. There's not a plan B. There's not a, there's not a, well, if this doesn't work, I'll do this. No, no, no. Jesus, you are absolutely it. And so when she touched him, something happened. It's her faith. Question becomes, who is Jesus to you? Is he a cute person to follow when life is good? Not willing to give up your life, not willing to give up the things that, that are hard, not willing to completely follow him, but you know, he's, he's cool. I've always got that plan B. I'll go do whatever I want. What you say and how you live needs to line up. I think this is the problem why, why most churches aren't filled. Because people say, I'm a Christian, and their life doesn't look like it. Now, pause. Doesn't mean Perfect. Get that out of your head. I think I preach that about every Sunday. I don't want you to realize Christianity does not mean perfect. Christianity means I am focusing on Jesus. And so I'm going to live my life as close to the Bible and as close to his words as I can, knowing that I'm going to make mistakes. Not not choosing to make mistakes. Not not saying, well, he'll forgive me. That's what grace is for. But no, I know that that I'm not perfect. And so I'm going to make mistakes. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. But it doesn't, Paul says, it doesn't mean that gives you right to go and sin. It means I'm going to live my life as close to Jesus as I can. It is the basic foundation of faith and salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you've, you've ever heard this thing called the sinner's prayer, it's really the follower's prayer. It's the disciple's prayer where, where it, 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 we make this thing up. Can I tell you, the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. 
let's blow some theology. You know that every eye close, every head bow. If you want to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, raise your hand today. And people raise their hand and say, okay, now repeat this prayer after me. That's never found in the Bible. I know. I miss, I mess American theology up really bad. But let me tell you what the Bible does say. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is what? Ooh. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by healing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Let me break that down real quick. I'm going to give you three questions about who Jesus is today. The sinner's prayer is an easy way to have access to what we call salvation. But the Bible says, not that we just declare a prayer that some pastor made you repeat. It says that you declare openly that he is Lord. What did I say about Lord? It means that once I declare him as Lord, I don't have rights to say no. Just messed up salvation for a lot of people right now. Because a lot of people are like, well, I said the prayer like 10 times a week. (laughs) And the problem is we keep running to the altar. We keep running to salvation as a fix-all because we haven't actually made him Lord yet. We've just made him Jesus. Because just Jesus, oh, and he'll forgive me. And he will. The Bible says that he forgives openly. But the Bible also says this, that many will get to heaven and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he'll say, I don't even know you. Why? Because somewhere along the line, we forgot that he's Lord, and I'm going to just go do whatever I want. I'm going to live my life, and I'm just going to ask for forgiveness at the end of the day. That's not Lord. Lord is when, when he comes down and he says, Mr. Randy, I want you to quit your job, and I want you to move to Africa. Now, listen, this is not how it works for everybody. It's not even how it works for Mr. Randy, because he's our only drummer, so we really don't want to lose that. Okay? Don't move to Africa. I'm just, stop it. No. Okay? It's the willingness to go wherever you call me. I remember, I remember, um, listen, I I was about eight years into uh, being the youth pastor at our job in California. I already had three years at another church, so I was close to... 11 years into full-time ministry. And we had gotten comfortable. Two kids, good job, all this stuff. Had a house, had cars, things that we didn't think that we'd really ever have in life, <laughs> you know? And I looked at Stephanie in bed one day and I said, if God told us to sell everything and move, would you? Really should have never asked that question. But I was checking my spirit to make sure that we were still truly willing to say what we, we said a long time ago, that whatever God said, wherever God said to do, whatever he wanted us to do, we're all in. Because my life is not my own. She looked at me and said, if God told us to, absolutely. I'm like, cool, we're on the same page still. Why? Because I want to make sure that everything that we do in life, listen, I've got one really short life in, 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 in this reality. And then I've got all this eternity afterwards. And I want my one life to matter. I don't just want it to feel good. I, I want to make, make heaven as big as possible with the life that I live not just go, well, I had a really cool life. Now, I don't, I don't want to just, well, you know, people, people liked me. I'd rather people not like me and know the truth about Jesus than a lot of people to like me. Why? Because I want to follow Lord. And it's, that's what, that's, listen, that's what salvation is. It is saying, I need a Lord, and I'm willing to follow you. 
says, declare with your mouth and believe in your heart. You can't declare in your mouth and not believe in your heart. That's just being a puppet. A lot of people puppet because we get the emotional side. Oh, can't you fill them in the room today, saints? Don't you want to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Can you not fill them? And you're looking around going, I guess I don't. She's she's raising her hand. She cute, so why not? You know how many people come to Jesus because somebody cute came to Jesus? (laughs) They didn't see him as Lord. They saw him as a ticket in. Well, if I know Jesus, then they'll come to date me. If I come to Jesus, then maybe my finances will get right. If I come to Jesus, then maybe, maybe my boss will start to find favor because that's what, the, that's what the, the good preachers on Facebook say. Man, I'm looking for favor, and so ha, yeah, I come to Jesus. I'm going to get in lots of trouble today. The problem is, We're following a hype instead of a savior. And Jesus says, declare with your mouth, but before you declare with your mouth, you better believe in your heart that Jesus is your Lord, not just some really good teacher. So I want to ask you three questions. The first one is this. These are are questions that, that Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Not me. Who do you say I am? This is Jesus. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. When Jesus came to the region region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus stops him and he replies, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And Jesus sits here today and he asks each and every one of us in this room, listen, just because you're married to an amazing godly person doesn't make you close to Jesus. And just because your parents prayed a lot for you or your grandparents prayed a lot for you, it will not get you into heaven. A praying grandparent, a, a, a praying parent, oh, they can, they can make it to where God's presence chases you down, but ultimately you have to choose. Free will is free will. And there is no prayer hard enough that'll get you into heaven if you choose hell. That's just the reality. And so Jesus starts the question off with, who do all these people say I am? He said, well, you're, you're a prophet, you're a teacher, you're a leader. And they're like, okay, cool, good answers. Now, who do you say I am? And I love Peter because Peter's the first one to open up his mouth. I, I, I find a lot in common with Peter. I may, not, I may not say all the right things, but I know I'm going to say something. <laughs> so I, I, I listen, my, my whole message after Easter is actually uh, revolved around Peter. And because Peter's transformation was amazing. Peter was never afraid to live his faith out. Whether he got it right or wrong, he was willing to jump in. And Peter says, I think you're Lord and Savior. I think that you're the son, of, uh, the son of God. I think, and Jesus is like, whoa, pump the brakes. You are so right. But you didn't get that revealed by human thought. My father revealed that to you. There's a point to that statement. And I want you to read that. We learn information from people. We experience transformation from God. Maybe all you've done is gone to church and you've collected thought, which is great. Listen, everybody's got to come to Jesus at their own place and at their own terms. You may come to church for a year, two years, two months, one day, hear the truth of God and it resonates in you. You go, I want that. You will hear 
information from people like me. But I can't transform your life. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can, tr can transform you. And so we learn from people sitting down and having great conversations. Hey, what do you think uh, the Bible says about this? Hey, what do you think God believes about this? What do you think? And we get information that helps our brain trigger to our spirit. I want to experience this Jesus I'm finding out about. But only true transformation comes from Jesus. And that's what Jesus says. He says, listen, this hasn't been revealed to you by human thought, but by my father. Do you see Jesus for who he is? And not for who you want him to be. How many ever remember the, the story in the Bible, the rich young ruler? You know, he's the only person in the Bible that, that actually denied Jesus to follow him. Jesus walks up to him and, 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 and he says, Haha, see, I'm getting down no matter what. I can't do it. I can't deal with it. Too far away, okay? So listen, he goes and, and the rich young ruler comes to, to Jesus and he's like, Hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, cool. And he starts giving him the, the list that he gave all the other disciples. And he says, I've been doing that. So basically what he did was he gave him the first half of the Ten Commandments, right? If, if you look at it, that's what he does. He gives him all of the ones that, are, uh, that, that resonate with the, the, the life of God. To serve God only, to do this. They're all, and, he's, and, and he goes, I've been doing that my whole life. He says, cool. Because he's God, he knew. He said, go and sell everything you have and then come back to me. See, the following God part wasn't hard. The giving up his other life was. Oh, I believe that you can do some really cool things. Okay, give it all up. Mm, nah, I'm good. Now, listen, here, here's the problem, once again, with, with a lot of pastors is at this point is when I would tell you, you need to let go of all worldly value. Miss that. Do it if God tells you to. If God tells you to sell everything and you don't, I don't want to be by you. I want to run. Listen, there's a whale about to eat you. Nineveh is in your sight. Okay? The rich young ruler is the only person that Jesus encountered and told him what it took to follow him. And it says that he went away sad that day. Not Jesus, the the guy. Why? Because Jesus was Lord, or Jesus was uh, Savior. He was, he was this really cool teacher, but he wasn't Lord yet. He wasn't willing to give up everything to follow him. And for some of us, that looks different. You really willing to follow me? Give up this. And it may not even be a bad thing. It may be a good thing. It may be something. It, sports. God asked me to give up sports when I came to know him. Flat out give up sports. Football, baseball, everything. Gave it up. Never played another thing in high school. And I'm so thankful. I've missed it, but I'm so thankful because it led me to my calling. For some of you, it may be something that, that, that you struggle with. Give up the computer. Give up the YouTube. Give up the, the, the whatever it is, the food, wine, alcohol. It doesn't matter whatever it is. What is it that you lord over your life? Jesus is asking for that. And he may bring it back to you. I got to go back and play sports as an adult. And I loved it with the proper perspective that Jesus is first in my life because I was unhealthily thinking that uh, sports was my God. I gave it up for him. 
Who do you say I am? And what are you willing to do to follow me? Because transformation is found in me and it's not just found in information. True life change comes when you recognize him as Lord to submit all to him, not just most or some or, or, or 99%, but all of you to him and say, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. So my question to you is, who is Jesus to you today? Who do you say he is? I want you to wrestle with that this week. And the second question is, who are you looking for? It's the same question that he poses to Mary in the very beginning scripture. Who are you looking for? Why did you start coming to church? Why did you try Jesus? Why did you try Christianity? Why? Who, who are you looking for? What did you come here today for? Maybe for some of you, you simply came to watch a baptism. Because in the church, it's a really cool thing. Not knowing that maybe what you're hearing today is the truth that's going to set you free. The same question that Jesus asked Mary, he's asking us today. Who are you looking for? You cannot just be looking for someone to fix you or your circumstances. You must be wanting life change, wanting to submit, wanting to follow, wanting to lean into the will of God. If you're not wanting that, then you're missing why Jesus is calling you to the first place. It's not about religion. It's not about showing up and just being a part of a church. Like, I never want our church to just be a place where people are like, well, I, I want to get into heaven, so I show up. I want them to walk in with a smile on their face like, man, I love this place. Why do I love this place? Because Jesus is evident. He's transformed my life. I've made a mess of it, and, and, and you know what? I love the fact that when I come to church, when I get around my Freedom Fam, when I, when this, has, this has radically changed my life, not because of people, but because of the Jesus that I've been pointed towards. Who are you looking for determines where you go. The Bible says this about people. Um, bad company corrupts good morals. And a lot of us in this room might know that to be true. One bad decision away from, from not being who you want to be. When, when, when I had to get into the police world, I, I found that to be very true. You know how many times I've heard people say this? They're really a good person. They might be. The problem is they got around people that have chose to drag them down, and now they're facing charges. Or, or they may have been a straight-A student that is doing really good, and, and you know what? One introduction to drugs changed their whole world. Now they don't know how to get off of it. Who you hang around with, who you follow, and that's why it's so important to me that people understand who Jesus is, that he's not just a checkbox. I've, I've grabbed my Bible, and, and I don't want to break another iPad. We're going to put that down here. I've already done that once before. I've got my Bible so I look like a good Christian. I look like I play the part. But inside, I'm so dead and dying because I haven't chose to follow Jesus. So I'm aimlessly wandering around going, God, I don't understand. Why is this so hard? Why, are, why is my life falling to pieces? And he's going, the book in your hands got the answers if you'll just look. Who are you looking for? who you're looking for determines where you go. Think about it. I've said this before, guys, we will change a lot to, for the right lady. Oh, we will. Because we want to become who they want. Not, and it's not changing our personality, but you know what? Listen, I didn't shave certain parts of my face for my wife for a long time because she was like, if you have a mustache, I don't want to kiss you. 
And eventually, after like 18 years, I said, just deal with it. I look like an Amish dude for so many years. Seriously, like you can look back on pictures. I've got like this beard with no mustache. All I needed was like one of those little top hats. Horse and buggy. I'd be living my Amish paradise. But listen, we will. You know, that's in us. There's a reason why that's in us because it's the very thing that Jesus calls out of us for a relationship with him. I want what's real. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And so much in life, we chase after a fake real because our heart is looking for the real thing. So I want to end with this question. Sharish, you can come up. How are you willing to live for him? Never mind them. They're all just going to get ready for baptism. They don't even exist right now. How are you willing to live for him? I want you to think about that question. How are you willing to live for him? If you can answer the first question, who do you say I am? And then you get to that second question and Jesus says, who are you looking for? Then it poses the question of what are you willing to do? I'll take it back to relationships because it's, it's one of the easiest things to point back to. When you say, I really like that girl, okay, and she's going to be my wife, all statements that most guys will say in their head and never out loud, then you pose the question, what are you going to do about it? Because if you sit on the sidelines, somebody else gets her. Right? Ladies, don't you like being pursued? They won't even answer. They're just shaking their head. Come on, ladies. Don't you like being pursued? Thank you. Thank you. Look at women. We don't want to feel needy. I'm a 21st century girl. Shut up. Every lady likes to be pursued. It's in you. It's who you are. It's okay to say that. Get your little rosy riveter out of your brain for a moment and realize that you were built that way. And if the guy doesn't pursue you, what do you think? Well, he ain't good enough. Because if he isn't willing to put forth an effort, then why would I want to change my life and give him my heart? So we get to Jesus. And all of that same stuff about relationships, it was built into us for him in the first place. It's why he chose to come to earth. He could have done it a thousand different ways. Right? Jesus, God could have, could have brought salvation in any other way. But instead he chose his only son to come to earth to live as us so that he could walk through life knowing what it means to be human, knowing the pain of loss. That's why he cried at Lazarus' death. He knew he was gonna raise him from the dead, but he still felt the human pain. Understanding that circumstances are hard. That's why in the garden when he prayed, he prayed like a lot of us pray with circumstances. God, please remove this. But your will be done, not mine. 
And Jesus' answer to a lot of things was, why are you here? And he would say, I, I come to do my Father's will. Why? To point people back to the very heart of God, which was, he longs for you. God isn't playing hide and go seek with your heart and with your soul. He come to make it because when Adam and Eve came, they entered sin into this world and he, there was a divide that happened between God and man. And he said, I can't live like this. I want my son to bring it back together so that I can have relationship with him. He is not some evil God up there casting down lightning bolts every time you do something wrong. He is a God that from the beginning of time wanted to have a relationship with me and you. That on the cross, he literally saw our face, our lives. The Bible says that, that God literally turned himself away from his son on the cross because he could not take the amount of sin that his son had to carry in that moment. And we know this because Jesus in that moment cries out to the Father, 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 why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine what Jesus felt in that moment that so many of us have felt walking through circumstances? God, where are you? Where have you, where have you gone? Why have you let me walk through this? Jesus felt that on the cross. Even knowing the plan. But when you choose to know that he did that for you and that you come into relationship with him, not because it's what we're supposed to do, but because he is Lord and he loves us and he wants the best in our life and he is going to turn the best of us into his purpose. And we choose to live for him in a different way. How are you willing to live for him? What are you willing to give up for him? What are you willing to change in your life for him? The depth of commitment you have to Jesus is determined by the identity that you give him. If he's just a really good teacher, you will not give him your whole life. If he's just a place that you go on Sundays, you will not give him your whole life. But when it is everything laid out before him and saying, you know what? I don't want to do life without him. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to screw up. But God, I don't want to go anywhere else than other than where you are. It's what Moses said said, listen, could you imagine a million people standing behind you going, Moses, where are we going? How are we getting there? Moses, lead us. A bunch of annoying people. And he says, we ain't going nowhere. God, unless you lead us, I will plant my flag right here and a million people can just complain. Unless you lead us. God answers him and says, I will lead you by the cloud at day and the fire by night. He says, good, because we're not leaving without you. We're not going without you. I'm not going to make my mess. I'm not going to make my own route. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. We've got to stop thinking that we can change our lives the way that Jesus can, because we can't. Oh, you can make your life pretty good, but you can't make it the way Jesus can. Some of you need to make the, the decision today, I'm not going to continue to make this about me and I'm going to make this about Jesus. You can't live de dedicated to other people's identity of Jesus. I don't want you to follow the Jesus that I serve in the sense of my personal relationship. You won't follow him very long. You need to know the Jesus that changed John, Brooke, Morgan, you got to have your story. 
Because if you tell my story, it will only be impactful for so long in your life before you go, it's just another story. When I'm dead and gone, nobody will remember me. But I want them to remember the Jesus that I served. I want to pass on from generation to generation the fact that I was willing to do anything and all things for my Lord because he is Lord. I said this last week. He, he, he didn't say, come and get saved. Which is so often what we do in church. Come to the altar and say this prayer and be magical like Lucky Charms. No. Jesus says, come and follow me. Never in the invitation did he say it was going to be easy. Never in the invitation did he say it would be perfect. Never in the invitation did he say that your life would be uh, amazingly full of finances and big houses. All he said was, come and follow me. And his parting words to the disciples were, go therefore. Life change creates life change. When Jesus changes your life, it becomes natural for us to want to tell others and live it out daily. I want to end today, before we get into baptism, I want to read you the scripture that is kind of the foundation for our Easter message next week. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 4. It's verses 7 through 13. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. It says this. And when they have set them in the midst, they inquired. This is the religious leaders setting Peter and John in the midst of them because they did something that they didn't like, living for Jesus. And then here's Peter again. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, what a shade thrown at them. Yeah, the man you put on the cross. Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I love the, 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 what happens after that. It says in verse 13, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they'd been with Jesus. Information doesn't get you to that point. Transformation does. At some point, what you hear in here has to become in here. That's what baptism is about. Baptism is simply saying, Jesus changed my life. And I'm no longer going to follow my way. Now, I'm going to make some mistakes and I'm going to try to, to go off the dirt path every now and then and Jesus is going to have to pull me back. But I am committing to this day to follow him as my Lord. Come and follow me. We say, yes, I will. It doesn't need, listen, to, to come and follow Jesus doesn't take a prayer to repeat after me. It literally is to believe in your heart that he died on the cross, that he, that he was raised from the dead, that your sins were forgiven for that, from that act, and, and,
and that you profess it with your mouth. You have to believe that he's Lord. Say yes to everything he asks of you. That's what, and baptism is literally saying, I'm going from my old life, the symbolism of death, raising up into new life to follow Jesus forevermore. That's all. Let me pray for all of us real quick. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for our people. God, I pray that we go and we, as, as the book of Acts said about your first disciples, that we would go and do the same thing, that we would go and turn the world upside down for you. Proclaiming your goodness and living our life out in front of everybody that sees it. That God, if, if nothing else, what was said about Peter and John in the book of Acts chapter four, that they had been with you. Let that be said about us. I'm so thankful for those that have gotten baptized. I'm so thankful for their life change and for them choosing to follow you. God, I pray your strength over each and every one of them and your purpose and protection. We thank you for those that are here today. God, I pray that we would go and we'd make you famous out there, that we'd make much of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 